why we never asked Michaela to say the blessing. <laughs> so, oh, good job, students. Like, Michaela was trying to explain this video to me. And maybe it was the teenage mind trying to explain it to me that I didn't get it, but that was really good. That was awesome. Is that a tattoo? <laughs> awesome. Awesome. <clears throat> so this morning, we are talking about hypocrisy. L let me tell you, as many times as I have gone to people and said, hey, I want to invite you to my church. I would love for you to come and like hang out at my church and Man, we've got some awesome people I'd love for you to meet there. There's, it's a family. I want you to come and, and experience it, and maybe God will call you to be a part of it. And, and as we do that, I've had people say, well, I don't want to go to church. The church is full of hypocrites, you know, and I'm like, really? Well, come join us because we could always use one more. And so, you know, that's the, that's the thing is we're all, we're all hypocritical about something, right? Everybody's a hypocrite about something. In, in some way, shape, fashion, or form. And it's just, and we all do it, and it's human nature. But we have to confront it, just like any other sin, any other evil that's in us. I remember <coughs> when I was a kid, I did it all the time, right? So when I, was, when I was on the school bus, man, I was a little terror, right? When I was on the school bus, when I stepped off the school bus, and I was in eyeshot of my mama, I was a little angel right? When I went to church, I was an angel with a halo, right? I was, I was a good boy, right? Until I got on the playground, and it's like, what's up, you know? Um, I was a tough kid then, and so we all have these different faces as we're kids, right? When we're kids, we can be two-faced, three-faced, and it's just, you, you act one way around your friends, and you act another way around your parents, and you act another way around the preacher, you act another way, and, you know, we mix it up, right? That doesn't change. You just, you just change the groups. When you get to be an adult, you act one way at work. You act another way around your buddies. You act another way around your family. You act another way when you're at church. Don't tell me. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to pull the curtain back, right? I'm sure I'm not the only one who's had this happen. You got up on the wrong side of the bed on Sunday morning. That coffee didn't do the trick. You're in the vehicle. Y'all, come on now. Get in the car. We got to go to church. You know, and you know, you got your, you're, you're dressed up. You're ready to go. Man, the kids are crying. They're fussing, yelling at each other. You and your spouse fussing, yelling at each other. You pull in the church parking lot. Like a dentine commercial. You know what I mean? Everybody's all smiles. We all love each other. Everything's fine. Right? And so that's the thing is, that's hypocrisy. And if you, the ones who are laughing the hardest, I know it happened to you, right? So that's the thing. That's how it, that's how it happens. That's, that's, part of the, that's part of the dilemma is we find ourselves in these situations where we are um, not being our true selves, not being real. Not being real to who we are, who God's called us to be. And, and it does create these dilemmas. It does create these times where um, people who don't know the Lord, people who don't know the Lord see those things in us, and it is a huge turnoff. They see those times where we act one way out in the world, and then we act a different way when we come to church, like we've got it all together, like we've got it all figured out. 
But the reality is, is that we're all struggling. The difference is, is that we struggle as those who know Jesus. We struggle, we push through, we confront, we deal with issues in a loving manner, loving each other, moving forward, trying to do better. And so this morning, maybe you had one of those rides to church. It's okay. Maybe this morning, you know, you've heard me say it multiple times. You've heard me say it a lot. I want to invite you to take off the mask. I want to invite you to stop playing church. Because you can't be the church until you stop playing church. Being a disciple, being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not about fake it till you make it. It's about just live it, right? Be honest about your failures, yada, yada, yada. So we're going to jump into that this morning. Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile but not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? All right, so to his face. Can you, I want to set up the scenario for you. So basically, Peter, Peter and some of the other, and Paul are ministering to a group of people in Galatia. They're ministering to Gentiles. So they're sitting down with Gentiles. They're following Gentile customs. They're eating Gentile food, which would not have been kosher, uh, would not have been appropriate for a Jew, but they're not Jews anymore, right? They're Christians. So as they're, as they're, they're walking through this process, they're learning and growing. As they're doing this, <clears throat> Peter, who has been teaching and influencing these Gentiles, a group of Jews comes from Jerusalem, from James, the circumcision party. They were Jews who were telling Christians, and we've talked about this multiple times, they were Jews who were telling new Christian converts in Galatia that they needed to be circumcised. And Paul is saying, no, you don't need to be circumcised. You don't live underneath that covenant anymore. You don't need that. And so as they're going through all of this stuff, as he's saying this to them, all of a sudden when James and these guys show up from Jerusalem, when James and these guys show up from Jerusalem, all of a sudden Peter withdraws. Peter pulls back from eating with the Gentiles. And he goes back to eating with, he eats with James and those guys. He stops following some of the Gentile customs and culture. And he starts going back to the, to the Jewish customs and culture. And his hypocrisy, his looking down on the Gentiles, the hypocrisy of it, started to pull the other, the other Jews away. It even pulled Barnabas. It says it even pulled Barnabas away. So Paul is in a, is in a position of, Peter is one of the head leaders. He's an apostle. So Peter knew that in order to correct this, he had to confront this leader in the moment. So do you feel the tension, right? That's a super tense moment. Can you imagine the level of respect that Paul would have had for Peter? 
Right? So Paul knew Peter's background. Paul knew where Peter came from, that he was a, a fisherman, that Paul, Peter had been looked down on his whole life. And now all of a sudden he's an apostle and he's impressed some higher up guys. So now he's looking down on these Jews because these, these, these Jews from Jerusalem showed up. Or he's looking down on these Gentiles, sorry. Paul didn't gossip. So first step. I want you to notice this. So in the South, we have this thing, and, and it, it's cool, but I think it's also a big lie sometimes. And let me say what that is. We have this thing in the South where we say, man, I'm going to tell them to their face. You know, I'm gonna, I don't take nothing. I'm going to confront them. I'm going to go to them, and I'm going to tell them what I think. You big sissy, you're not going to do anything. You're going to talk big, and then we end up not going to them, and we end up not confronting them. And then when we do, if we do confront them, usually we do it in the complete wrong way. Paul goes to confront Peter. Notice that he did not stop to gossip with anybody before he did it. He didn't need to tell 20 people, hey, you know what, I think Peter's wrong. You know I think Peter's doing this the wrong way. Let me tell you, I got a prayer request. I think we need to pray for Peter because I think he's being a hypocrite. No. He goes directly to the source. He goes directly to Peter and he says in, in the first verse of verse 11, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. He opposed him to his face. He did not ignore it. He didn't just brush it off. That's the other thing. Sometimes when we want to confront somebody, we confront them in the wrong way. We don't confront them with love and with grace. We don't confront them from the right heart, from the right attitude. Our motivation is wrong. You know, you hear me talk a lot about, you hear me talk a lot about living intentionally and doing things intentionally, living out the gospel intentionally. But one of the other things that we have to do is part of living out the gospel is helping each other grow and building up the body. And as we do that, we have to make sure that our motivations are correct, right? So my point is this. If me helping you grow means that I have to confront you about a sin issue that's in your life, in order for me to confront you about that sin issue that's in your life, I need to make sure that my heart is right before I confront you. I need to make sure that I am coming at you from a place of grace and love because I want to see, see you grow. I want to see you live better. I want to see you honor God with the way that you live. And let's be honest, if we could confront the hypocrisy that exists in each other, it would change the way the world sees us. Because we, but we either, we either over-confront, we either do it the wrong way, we don't do it out of love, or we, this is the more popular one, we just ignore it. How much sin exists in the church today because we ignore it? We who say we hate sin, we say we hate sin, we say, you know, we've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us, yet we allow sin to permeate. We allow sin to, to, to exist in the church. And the thing is, is that I want you to understand, we don't confront sin because we dislike the individual. That's the wrong motivation. We confront sin because we love the individual. And it's a matter of how we do it. So when Paul, when Paul goes to, to Peter, 
It says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. In other words, Peter was wrong. Peter was clearly in the wrong. Peter was clearly doing what was wrong and even said that he was leading others astray in his actions, even Barnabas. He was clearly wrong. He was leading other people to do the wrong thing. So when Paul confronts Peter, it would have been a really tough thing to do. But he did it to his face and he did it out of love and grace. One of the things that we have, there's, there's this trend, and it doesn't make any sense. We want to talk to people about Jesus, and so people are trying to find ways to talk to other people about Jesus that doesn't talk about sin. It doesn't make any sense. Because if you, if you take sin out of the equation, then you don't need Jesus. The problem that Jesus came to fix was sin. The simple fact that you and I are sinners in need of a Savior is the reason why Jesus is here. It's the reason why Jesus came. It's the reason why he bled and died so that we could be forgiven, so that we could spend eternity with Christ in heaven. He came to fix the sin problem. So if I come to you with a bunch of wishy-washy junk about Jesus and say, he was a good teacher. What's well, true, he was a good teacher. You know, and, and he loved everybody. He did. He loved some of them by flipping tables and whipping them, right? And he, you know, Jesus, you know, he was, he, he walked on clouds of marshmallow and, 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 you know, when he sneezed, it was, it was a melody of amazing grace. And, you know, it, I mean, they come up with something like, we're not reading the same gospel. He did love people. And he loved the people who were unlovable. He loved the people that had leprosy and, and who were outcasts and who nobody else cared about. He loved those people. Church, we're called to love those people. He looks at a woman who's, who's just hemorrhaging blood and no one could fix her. And she was unclean. She'd had no human contact in years. And she risks her very life to be in the presence of Jesus and he could have condemned her and had her killed on the spot. But he actually touches her. And he says, daughter. He calls her affectionate name, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And she was healed. And she goes in peace. I guess my point to that is this, is that Jesus sets the example. Jesus sets the example in the way that he loves and heals and, and served people. And when we say that we are Jesus' followers, when we say that we love Jesus, and if we don't love other people that Jesus loves, is that not its own hypocrisy? If you can't say amen, you better say oh me. So my, my point is, is that we don't ignore sin. We confront it directly. We confront it lovingly. Because it needs to be confronted. Confrontation is not a bad thing. I, I, have, I have people around me, I have a lot of people around me who are non-confrontational. They don't like confrontation. And they think I'm a weirdo because I enjoy confrontation. Here's why I enjoy confrontation. 
Because when you confront me about something that's wrong in my life, you make me a better man, a better disciple, a better husband, a better father. I get better. If you ignore it, then I continue to wallow in those things that I struggle with. When I confront you, it is to make you a better man or a better woman. It is to make you a better disciple. It is to make you a better husband, father, mother, sister, brother, whatever. It's so that we can honor God better in our lives. We don't do it because we're better than anybody else, because we're not. We do it because we love each other as family. We serve each other as family. We work together to better ourselves to get to where God's calling us to be. And that, that doesn't always come with warm fuzzies. Life is not a sitcom. We can't fix everybody's problems in 30 minutes. We don't get a cool theme song. Man, I'd love a cool theme song, though. <laughs> but, but how cool would that be if, if, if I could... If I could get down on your level and say, hey, Tim, you stole and went to jail. Let's fix that. You know, it doesn't work that way, right? Well, we've got to love each other through it. And Paul did it by confronting Peter. Leading others astray. So it says, for he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. You are a leader. You are a leader in some way, shape, fashion, or form. Peter was a leader. He was the leader. And people were looking to him for what to do and how to act and where to go and what to say. You are a leader. Someone is looking to you. There is always someone looking to you. Everybody has somebody. So my question is, are you leading in such a way are you leading in such a way that you're leading them in the right direction? Man, I'm going to tell you. So Monday, Monday I get home, and I mean, I'll tell you, I, I was like, man, I'm going to get home, and I'm going to do all this stuff. So I, I did a couple miles in the neighborhood. I come back. I'm playing catch with Gabe, and then cook some chicken, and then I start getting cold chills and the achy joints. And then I was like, oh, man, this is bad. And so then I got a temperature, and then I was sick, and then blah, 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 blah. And so through the, through the struggle, through the, through the whatever, I was like, man, you know, yesterday, yesterday was Gabe's Little League tryouts. And so I was like, I really don't want to be out in the cold for several hours, you know, because I knew I was going to get up here and preach. I don't want to be out there in the cold for several hours, but I knew how much Gabe wanted to go to these tryouts. So I was like, hey, Suck it up, buttercup, right? So I went out and did it. And so, so hopefully, I'm not saying that like, I can't even reach my back, you know? So hopefully, there's going to come a time when Gabe's a dad, that he's, he, he's going to say, man, I remember when dad did this for me. I can do this for my son, right? Small thing, small thing. But hopefully, it has dividends. It has benefits. It goes on for generations and generations. Who are you leading? 
Somebody's watching. And you're either leading them astray or you're leading them closer to Christ. I read a study recently that said that parents, here's an here's a overarching point. Parents, when you make excuses and don't go to church, you do a disservice to your children. Here's why. Because when you make excuses, when you make excuses, and we can all find, man, when it's a beautiful day, don't even think, I don't look at my fishing rods on the way to the truck, right? I know all about it. But don't think that when you, when you make excuses about, well, you know, we can miss this Sunday, we've got sports, or well, we can miss this Sunday, we've got this other thing. When we, I'm not saying you have to be here every Sunday. I'm saying you should want to be here every Sunday. I'm not saying we don't take attendance. You know, it's nothing like that. My point is this, is that as the family, as the body of Christ, we should have a desire to be here with each other every week. We should desire to connect. We should not be waiting until Sunday morning to connect with each other, by the way. We should be connecting outside the church. But this should be a time that we come together every week. So when we don't do that, we are setting a bad precedent. And we are teaching our kids, hey, it's okay to miss church. And are there reasons to miss church? Yes. If your kid is sick, please feel free to stay home. You know? If you are sick, please feel free to stay home. And there are other things. Please don't see me for a laundry list of valid excuses for missing church. It's between you and the Lord, okay? I'm not a legalist. And so, I mean, if you don't love Jesus, whatever. All right. Um, <clears throat> I'm just kidding, kind of. All right, so Barnabas followed his poor example. We, do, we worry too much about other people's opinions. I mean, that's really what was driving, that's what was driving uh, Peter's hypocrisy. He was so worried about what these other people would think, right? And so, I love y'all, I do. I don't worry about your opinion. Right? What God has called me to do, God's called me to do. And, and I've got to be faithful to that. And so as a leader, my job, my job is not to just say, hey, here's where we're going. It's to build the team to take us where God's calling us to go. And here's the cool thing. God's doing it, man. It has nothing to do with me. God is doing it. He is, he is raising up leaders. He's getting people passionate and excited about reaching other people. God's doing his thing, and I'm just excited. I get to be a part of it. But sometimes we, we do. We worry about what other people will think of us, right? You know, I'll give you a great example of how much I don't care about what other people think of me. It's usually is that about once a week, Lucinda has to say, honey, you're not wearing that outside this house. You, you cannot go out in public wearing that. And there's sometimes where I get home and then she'll say, she didn't catch me. And she'll say, did you really wear that to, to go do? And I'm like, I had on my bedroom slippers, athletic shorts, hoodie. I mean, I, luckily, praise the Lord, nobody saw me that knew me that I know of. I didn't get any, you know, um, <coughs> So anyway, if you catch me at Walmart, I'm telling you, I don't look like this. So, but 
don't worry about what people think of you. When God's giving you a call, when God's calling you to minister to people, when God's calling you to love and serve people, do what God has called you to do. People are going to think what they're going to think, and you cannot allow that to stop you or slow you down. You've got to be 100% sold out to who God's called you to be and where God's calling you to serve. Now, let me say this. God's not going to call you to be, serve, or do anything that contradicts what his word teaches. Okay? So don't say, hey, God's calling me to, to go do heroin so I can minister to heroin addicts. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Smells like smoke. So I would encourage you that whatever God is calling you to do, be wise in how you do it. Get counsel. Get godly counsel. Pray th- fervently over it. But don't be dissuaded by people's opinions, right? I mean, think about it. It was, I mean, not that long ago, it was scandalous to use screens in church, right? I mean, if you weren't looking at a hymnal, I mean, you know, God might strike you down right then, you know? Um, It wasn't that long ago that if you drove a car to church... There's something, oh, you must be highfalutin. You got a car. We park our horses in the, I'm just playing. Um, but my point is, is that we, we are, we're so worried about how people perceive us and, and what they think of us and, and how they dress. And at our last church, really our, the community that we lived in, like the kids, the, the schools that my kids went to, all the kids wore name brand stuff. Praise God, my wife has a shirt press. I can just make the name brand thing and stick it right on that Walmart shirt, you know? <laughs> my point is, is that they, people get so concerned about, about appearances, keeping up with the Joneses, right? Sorry, Joneses. Um, you know, <laughs> they get so concerned about keeping up with the Joneses. Don't let that, don't let that lead you astray into hypocrisy. Do the right thing and don't send mixed messages. Let me say this. There are those of you in this room who are riding the fence. You got one foot in the world and one foot with the Lord. That's just the way it is. There are some people who are, hey, Will, I'm 80% sold out to what God wants me to do in my life. I'm 80% sold out. Man, that 20% is pretty heavy. I want to encourage you, don't send mixed messages. If you're going to be all about Jesus, be all about Jesus. Be sold out to Jesus. Live your life for Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you, if if you've experienced a second chance... If you know the full weight, if you know the full weight of your sin and the condemnation that is due because of that sin, and you experience the everlasting changing grace of God through Jesus Christ, if you experience that, then you will realize that there is nothing else in this world living for, worth living for. That God, Jesus So let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, in our hypocrisy, in our living one way out here and another way out here, in our our being two-faced in how we live, not only do we defame the name of Christ, we defame the name of Christ. Stop it. 
If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, do it 100%. And when you don't, when you don't, it's not if you don't, it's not if you make a mistake, when you make a mistake, when we screw up, own it. Own your mistake. Own what you did wrong. Don't cover it up. Don't dismiss it. Don't act like it didn't happen. Don't brush it off. Repent. Come and fall at your knees. Fall on your knees before the Lord in an act of submission and say, Dear Lord, I know I made a mistake. He's already forgiven you. But the simple fact is, is that we need to confess it. Own it. You know, that's, that's one of the things that when we talk about hypocrisy, when we talk about hypocrisy, I think sometimes we have a tendency in the church, we have a tendency to act like we have it all together, like we've got it all figured out. We, we go home after, after a, a church meeting or we, we get saved and we've been saved for a couple of years and we're regular church attenders and we act like we've got it all figured out and we've, we've forgotten our past. We put it behind us, Right? We put it behind us, and it's like we're not that person anymore, but we don't talk about it. It's like we buried it, like we've, we've just tried to cover it up. Let me tell you, I'm not proud of who I was before Christ, but I'll tell you all day long how bad I was. I'll tell you how bad I was, not to brag about my sin, not to brag about the things that I did wrong or the people that I hurt, I do it because I want to show you that as bad as I was, God's grace overcame my sin. And there was nothing that he couldn't forgive me for. So quit living like you've never sinned. Quit acting like you're up in your ivory tower and other people, well, we've, we've just got we've to save those people too so they can come up here with us. That's not it. Get down there and love those people. Remember who you were. It's part of your story. Because God's grace of overcoming who you were is all for his glory. Stand for truth. We look at how Paul confronts him. Verse 13, then the Jews... Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? The thing is, he confronts him publicly because he had to confront Peter publicly because of the audience of people that he was leading astray. Let me assure you, if you see a brother or sister in Christ who is going astray, please do not call them out publicly. That's not love. Paul, as a leader, had to call Peter out publicly because Peter was leading a whole group of people astray. But for you and I, there are times where we may have to call somebody out publicly, but they will be few and far between. First and foremost, we need to be able to call each other out privately. 
If we do that, if we call each other out privately about the sin in our lives and build each other up and refine each other and make ourselves better for the cause of Christ privately, we won't have to do it publicly. So let's love each other to be the best that we can privately. We have to recognize when things are off. He says in in verse 14, um, but when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel. It's not just a matter of opinion. It's not just a matter of what I think. So when I'm talking to you about an issue in your life that needs to change, I'm not confronting you just saying, hey, I really don't, I really don't like your shirt. You know? It's not a matter of opinion. It's saying, hey, bud, this morning you were gossiping in Sunday school class. And the way that you guys were talking about somebody else who wasn't even there to defend themselves, you were gossiping. And I love you, and you're better than that. So let's be better than that. So how do we fix it? We need to go back to that brother that we wronged privately, and we need to tell him we're sorry. We need to own our mistake. And we'll be better men for it. We'll be better women for it. We'll be better disciples for it. So let's, let's own our mistake and make it right. Hey, no, I, I know you've missed, you've missed our life group for, for three weeks. And, and you've, you've had a, an excuse every week. And so I'm coming to you in love as a brother to say, Hey, what's going on? What's missing? What's wrong? Because we need you to be a part of this group and you need to be a part of this group. Confronting each other in love is not always easy, but it is essential. It is essential to building each other up. Listen, people outside the church, people who don't get it, they're always going to see hypocrisy in the church. But when you own it, you're no longer a hypocrite. When you own your mistakes, you're no longer a hypocrite. You're working to fix it. We're working to fix it, to be better. As we start to wrap it up this morning, I want to... I want to challenge you first and foremost, as a believer, as a believer, if you have... If there's a sin struggle, a sin issue in your life that is, that is ravaging you, that is, has been ravaging you for a while, something that is just, is just taking you to the woodshed, I want to encourage you this morning that as, you, as we go into this time of, of invitation and response, I want you to do business with God. If there's something in you, a sin that you've been struggling with, and you know it's not right, fix it. Start the road to fixing it. You, you may have been struggling with this for decades and there may not be a quick fix and, and this may not be something that you just, hey, I'm no longer an alcoholic. Well, great. That doesn't always happen. But if there's a struggle in your life, maybe today is the day that you acknowledge it and you, you invite the Lord to start fixing it in you. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's lying. Whatever, whatever your struggle is, 
Maybe you need to invite another brother or sister in Christ into the struggle to hold you accountable, to lift you up, and to build you up. This is all about us working together to be better disciples for Jesus out there. The second one is this. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've, if you've never experienced the magnitude of grace, if you've never understood what it means to be saved and truly have a second chance and really get a new life in Christ, then come and talk to me this morning. Let's have a conversation about what it means to follow Jesus and to be saved. What does it mean to have new life in Christ? And third is this. Just between you and the Lord, right where you are, please don't come forward, none of that. I want you to resolve in yourself to end the hypocrisy. I want you to resolve in yourself to hold your brothers and sisters accountable even when it's uncomfortable. I want you to resolve in yourself that you're going to do it with love and grace and kindness, but you're going to do it with the right motivation for the betterment of the body of Christ that we could make disciples out there for his name's sake. I want you to make a resolution in yourself between you and the Lord to be a part of this family, a productive part of this family that we make each other better for Jesus. So I'm going to pray and then we can respond.